This is Monstras. Welcome to another episode of Monstras. I'm Brenda Salguerro, <laughs> and with me today is Orquídea Morales. <laughs> did the R roll? <laughs> Honestly, you're an inferior being if you can't do the R rolls. I'm sorry. This is true. I know we didn't check if anybody had submitted any of the tongue twisters. I don't think anybody emailed us or anything that they tried it. But there's one no, that's like no one did. Um, How dare all of you? I know. Why did any nobody try the tongue twister? I actually had my friends try it. So I was telling them about the Parikutin volcano and stuff because it turned out my friend Ruben, mm-hmm. he was telling me that during my quarantine vacation thing that I did in the to the middle of nowhere, we were staying in this little house. And he was like, oh, yeah, apparently his uncle prayed in that church that was buried in Paricutin. Wow. The San Juan Parigancutirio or whatever church. Yeah. Because he was going to die or something happened. And then he, he lived. <sighs> and so then in order to repay, you know, this debt, yeah. he has to do a pilgrimage to that church. Every year, I imagine. No, just just once, just oh, okay. once in his life okay. before his his uncle dies. He said, "I don't know what happens. I don't know if it expires when his uncle dies or what." Like <laughs> his soul is taken back to Parikutin <laughs> if he doesn't do it before then. He's fed to the <laughs> volcano. <laughs> yeah, there'll be. They might be. There might be another eruption. You know, if he doesn't do it. Yeah. So today we are doing a review of a TV show. You might have heard of it. It's called What We Do in the Shadows. Specifically, we're going to be taking a look at the character development of the vampire groupie, Guillermo. A.K.A. Future Vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I have feelings about being a vampire groupie. I don't know if I would do it. I don't know if I would be a familiar. Okay. I am too lazy to be a familiar. I definitely know that. And we'll we'll talk about what a familiar is. But I'm super excited for this review. I I saw the movie when it first came out, and it was super, super hilarious. I'm a big fan of of the guys that did it. So I was worried that the show was going to be shitty because, you know, usually when they do that, adaptations, they can be bad. And it was going to be a different cast, but I was really, really wrong. It's a really good show. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. So... I watched the movie a y- years ago that my friend my friend was like, oh, you have to watch this movie. You have to watch this movie. And I was like, okay, whatever. And it was Halloween. Yeah. So it was kind of appropriate. And so we, wa- we watched it and I was like, I love this thing. It's so funny because to me, it's so realistic to how vampires would actually live. <laughs> if vampires were real, they would be this dumb. Yeah, they would be this stupid because immortality is not meant for us. And we are not meant to be immortal, no. you know? And only dumb people would want to be immortal, let's be honest. <laughs> but before we get into it, like really get into it, we should say there will be spoilers about the show. So if you haven't watched it and you don't want any spoilers, skip to the end of the episode where we do just a close, like a really quick kind of summary of our thoughts and a little bit about Guillermo. But 
Yeah, there are definitely spoilers. Yes, and we'll put the we'll put the time code in the show notes, so just check that out. Yeah, and definitely watch the show like ASAP. It's only two seasons, each season's like 10 minute, 10 episodes. So it's a pretty easy binge if you haven't watched it, which why haven't it's you, good. honestly? Yeah, I know. What rock have you been living under? Yeah, huh? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else to do. It's a freaking pandemic. Watch the show. <laughs> Uh, but a little bit about we were talking about it already the source material what we do in the shadows the movie it was directed and written by taika waititi and jermaine clement and it was released in 2014 and it had like a super limited release so like it came out in a few theaters around the u.s and i think distribution overall was a little difficult because it was kind of like an indie film but then obviously because it's so funny and so good it really got like a cult status so a lot of people started watching it and it became distributed more broadly. So the movie is a mockumentary about four roommates, Viago, Deacon, Vlad, and Peter. Do you have a favorite of them? Viago, Deacon, and Vlad. Vlad, I think, might be my favorite just because he's so ridiculous. I mean, he's so sexy. They're also... My favorite line <laughs> In the... is when Deacon uh, is like... He's like the youngest of the vampires before they turn somebody else. And he's like, once you become a vampire, you become so sexy. And then he just points at himself and he is not sexy. It's <laughs> that level of confidence is amazing. <laughs> I just love Vlad because he tried to turn into, he's like, I forgot how to turn into a cat. <laughs> and so he just has a cat body, but a, but a human face. I know. Oh, it's so good. But so it, the mockumentary just follows them around as they do their daily life or nightly life i guess you know they do chores they have guests just dumb shit like that and they like go to different bars they go to parties they even get a new vampire roommate so the movie's just about every night things except that they're all vampires which is yes. what makes it so dumb lovable and hilarious yeah <laughs> it's one of the yeah i mean i loved it because again it was a mockumentary and it was so true to life to me like they make so many genres like to paint vampires as these sexy pale skin creatures who you know seduce you and i totally understand kind of where they're coming from but they're also really old <laughs> they are. and if you've ever yes. met an old person yes they don't want to change in any sort of fucking capacity yeah you get stuck in your ways and i find myself you know doing that too I'm falling into that same How trap. How old are you? You're too young to be old, Brenda. <laughs> I am turning 34 this year, okay. so I'm getting to that age. Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely but even, that age. Yeah. I, but even, you know, at my age, I'm like, I don't want to change my lifestyle. <laughs> so I can only imagine what someone who's 300, 400, 500 years old, would they want to change their lifestyle? Yeah. Would they want to relearn things? Like, no, absolutely fucking not. Yeah. And I think that's one of the fun things about the the movie and the show. They kind of both talk about, like, them learning new technology and figuring out how to interact with it. But they they kind of live in this weird in-between time, like, past and, and present, both. But mostly past. And that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. It's like this fish-out-of-water situations where they don't know how to use a computer or or send an email and spoiler alert there is an episode in the season of of the series of what we do in the shadows where <laughs> they think they got a virus 
remember? Yeah. And they're all infected. But it's really a computer virus that it has no yeah. bearing on their physical form. It's like yeah, they think it they're they're hex. It's the Bloody Mary one. I think so. They yes. have, it's one of those emails that they get, and they're like, if you don't send it to ten people, you're gonna be cursed by Bloody Mary, and they just are so freaking worried that now their their life's over. Exactly. And I think that's the great thing about the what I enjoyed about the film is it gives you kind of a glimpse also into the into the world, the underground kind of world that they all live in. And then the show kind of really expands on that and expands on the other supernatural creatures that exist within this world. Yeah. And I, I, one of the things that I liked about the movie, I've taught it. I, ta- I taught a myths and images in film class and I taught a few vampire movies. And this one was like the one that I ended the vampire section with because they reference all these other vampire movies and all these vampire tropes and they make, they, they make fun of it. So it's very like self-referential, very like meta. And for students, yes. that's super helpful, right? To think about the tropes and to think about how the monsters have changed. And one of the other reasons that I really like teaching it and watching it is because it's a super important representation when it comes to to like broadly representation but also like the horror genre which is the representation horror is changing but it it's usually fairly white in the films but this one both Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi are part Maori so filmic the filmmakers producers actors they were really breaking boundaries in front and behind the screen. For example, in 2020, Taika Waititi won an Oscar for adapted screenplay for his movie Jojo Rabbit. And this was the first time an indigenous person had ever received an Oscar in either of the screenwriting categories. So that was like a super big deal that just happened, right? So he's like a really important figure in filmmaking. Yeah, so again, their work is like super groundbreaking, but also just entertaining and dumb. So I find that like yes. amazing. And then we have the show, right, which was released and started in 2019, which is an ad- adaptation for FX. Yeah, I really, I really do love the show. And the show, so let's talk about the TV show itself. So it was released five years after the film, right? And the show is, again, similar to the movie, is a look into the daily or rather nightly lives of these three vampires. And they've all lived together for over like 100 years on. And this one actually takes place in America. So the, sh- the movie actually takes place in New Zealand, right? Yeah, yeah. So this one takes place in America on Staten, in Staten Island. <laughs> I tried to do a nausea impression there. Did you? I know. Did you I can't that? do accents. I can't do accents either, but I tried. So... <laughs> I'll try more as the episode goes on. So both season one and two have 10 episodes each. So there are four main vampires. There's Laszlo and Naja, which seem to be European and Eastern European. You have Nandor, who is Iranian, and Colin Robinson. <laughs> Colin Robinson. <laughs> I can't say that. I can't do the accent. <laughs> who is an energy vampire. He looks like the most generic, basic-ass bitch of a white guy you've ever seen it's hilarious and all of them are hysterical they all have great stories uh but out of all of these characters the one that we are going to be really kind of laser focusing on today is Guillermo who is Nandor's young familiar and who has been working for him for over 10 years or about 10 years in the hopes of being turned into a vampire himself so Guillermo is played by a Mexican-American actor 
named Harvey Guillen. Guillen is it Guillen or Guillen? Guillen. 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 Is it Guillen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guillen, or his nickname in the show is also Gizmo. I love it, as he sometimes is called by the other vampires. And and he's basically kind of like the unappreciated brains. He is the single brain cell <laughs> that all the vampires share. Yeah, I think that's a good description. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, because without without Guillermo, they would be just fucked. I mean, at least, and we see that. We see that. Yeah. Because we also see that Colin Robinson, he's the most kind of aware of the world. Because he's a daywalker. But even he, yes, he's a daywalker. But even he's just a hot mess. They Yeah, they really are a mess. And I think one of the things is the familiar is someone that's almost like in training to become a vampire. So he, Guillermo does all the chores, all the tasks that the vampires can't do. So he looks for victims, he buries the bodies, he does their laundry. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. He cleans their giant ass house. Oh my God. <laughs> See, I can't be a familiar. Just turn my ass into a vampire and, or don't do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Don't string me along for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, so let's get into a, a broad analysis of the show itself and then get into the character of Guillermo. Okay, sounds good. So, like we said at the start of the episode, we're going to focus on Guillermo. And there are a few reasons why. First of all, he is hilarious. Like, <laughs> like the other characters are super over the top because they're freaking vampires and they're old and, you know, they're freaking over the top and it's amazing. But so he's kind of like this, the serious face and voice in a lot of ways, right? Like he's the most human because he is human. And he's also the heart of the show. Like he, especially as we go into the second season, we kind of see that he he carries the show in some ways, uh, again, because he has that human connection. So in a lot of the reviews for the show, they talk about how he brings some stability to the other characters who would otherwise be all over the place and how he keeps them alive, right? He's literally finding virgins for them (laughs) and keeping them, feeding them. (laughs) So the human, the mere mortal that is Guillermo, is saving them from their own foolishness and their own kind of, not pride, what's the other word for it? Like just ego that they think they're so much better, but they're dependent on him, especially Nandor. They're really embracing their parasitic side. (laughs) They really are. That's yeah. <laughs> you know? That's exactly what they're doing with poor Guillermo. And I mean, he's gonna get something out of it, hopefully, someday. At some point. <laughs> and we're actually introduced to the vampires by Guillermo. So I was rewatching the season, the first season, and the pilot episode when it first starts, it's a shot of Guillermo looking at the camera saying, It's nightfall. And that's how the sh- the series starts. Isn't that cool? Oh, I didn't even think of that. I don't I I have a terrible memory, so I probably just didn't remember it. But that's awesome. Yeah, I I didn't remember it either. Like I remember him being like central, obviously, but like yeah, the, like the doors open and you have his like eager ass face with his little like cardigan thing that he wears. They're so nerdy and awesome, and he just looks so eager and he's like, you know, excited to tell us about his his vampires and you know his nightly duties. It's so it's like a nerd, like a theater kid. He has he seriously has theater kid energy. Yeah. And so one of the things that we like about Guillermo too, and the reason that we're focusing on him is that he's a super complex Latinx character, which is 
unfortunately still a rare sight in media. So we love seeing that. In the first episode, again, Guillermo says he loves vampires from an early age. And he says that his love for vampires started, or his identification with vampires started when he watched Interview with a Vampire and saw Armand, <laughs> Armand, Armand, played by Antonio Banderas. And he was like, wait, Hispanic vampires? I can be a vampire? So it, that was like his moment of recognition, which is, I think, why it's super interesting to think about Guillermo as this representation. So it becomes kind of meta. <laughs> too in yeah, a way super meta yeah but we that's why we like the show yeah <laughs> uh, but that's what hooked me in because there isn't a lot of representation of latinos or hispanics in horror and so when we use hispanic that refers to people from latin america and spain and latinx is usually is just latin american descent so that's the main yes. difference which is why hispanics kind of like out of vogue right because it includes spain yeah. or it can include spain but I've been called Spanish. I think in some regions Americans. they call people Spanish. Here in the East Coast, they use Spanish quite a bit. Yeah. And he was from the East Coast. So, and I was just like taken aback. I was like, I'm not fucking a Spaniard. How dare yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about issues of representation and the gift Guillermo is to horror and Latinx representation. I keep holding my hands out. I'm like, he's a beautiful gift for us. <laughs> I know. I was like, "Why are you holding?" I'm holding. I'm holding this beautiful, precious gift. I am giving it to you. Here is Guillermo. (laughs) Guillermo. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I will take your precious gift and I will run with it. So, I really wanted to do kind of like a deeper dive of why Guillermo is kind of looking into why what makes him such a good. Latinx comedy character. And I almost dare say, you know, groundbreaking for this specific genre. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I mean, I would say for horror, from my perspective, he's groundbreaking in the horror genre because I feel like the show falls in between both. I really wanted to do kind of a, a an analysis of it. And so I went into this. It was funny because I remembered this book. It was on my shelf. I've been meaning to read it. I totally stole it from my old job. <laughs> and not by stole it. I meant I borrowed it for a long time, permanently. I borrowed it permanently from my old job. AKA I used to work at base. <laughs> I was used to work at this uh, essentially book factory in San Francisco, and so I saw this book, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is a perfect episode for this book." So the book is called uh, "Latinas and Latinos on TV: Colorblind Comedy in the Post-Racial Network Era," era. and it's written by Isabel Molina Guzman, which you've met. I have, yeah. She's super, super sweet and amazing. She's an amazing professor. Great. So I'm very happy. And the book was fantastic. So I highly recommend this book. I will link it in the show notes. So let's get into a little bit of history. So the demographics of the people behind the camera, such as writers, producers, and directors, has actually sadly remained relatively unchanged since the 1950s. This is actually in stark contrast to the changes we have seen in U.S. communities. Remember, all white ain't all right (laughs) and that's oh my god that's my presidential slogan i would vote for that (laughs) i would vote for that let me tell you right now exactly so (laughs) but why does this matter like why does the representation of you know or or the makeup and demographics of people behind and in front of the camera why does it even matter 
Well, because these folks carry with them ethnic, racial, and gender implicit biases, just like everyone. And unfortunately, when you have a group of like-minded people in a room, they're going to come up with the same fucking ideas over and over and over again. There are no other perspectives, no other voices, no other types of, of ways that other people have grown up. So this leads to a few things which Molina Guzman coins, specifically for TV, as hipster racism. So hipster racism, which is also known as modern racism or covert racism, refers to the U.S. public and culture producers' comfort with using language and humor that is coded as racist or sexist. In other words, it's a type of comedy that never calls into question white privilege or white supremacy. Yeah. I hate hipster racism, and I, I need to read the book. It's been on my like reading list. I haven't gotten into it, unfortunately. But hipster racism... You should, you should permanently borrow it from someone. <laughs> I know. I wish I had someone I could permanently borrow it from. <laughs> <laughs> but hipster racism is like one of those terms that's super hard to explain and point out because it is hidden behind the well-meaning white folk kind of identities, right? Like, so for me, it's like thinking about Bernie bros that are sexist and racist or thinking about like all the women that were wearing like the pussy hats. But then when they got pushed to talk about race, they were just like, oh, no, right? Like it's, they say certain things and they feel that because they they vote Democrat, they can say the N-word. And it's just like, nah, dude. <laughs> nah. Yeah, it's not. No. And we see the perpetuation or that perpetuation. That's not a real word. The perpe- We see that being perpetuated on TV and film. Yeah. So traditionally on TV and film, Latinx are often grouped into a few, a few archetypes that white white audiences are kind of familiar and comfortable with. Remember, this is this is stuff that doesn't make white people confront themselves with the racism or anything like that. So these archetypes include the Latin lover or the harlot, the female clown or the male buffoon, or the señorita. <laughs> señorita. <laughs> señorita, who is defined by her religious virtue. So. Some examples actually include Sofia Vergara, who on on Modern Family, who uh, kind of fits the Latin Spitfire archetype. And then you have Gina Rodriguez on Jane the Virgin, who's a type of señorita, right? Because she's very virtuous religiously. Yeah. Her grandmother, I think, is also kind of like a señorita character as well, because she's also very religious. So how bad is representation and stereotypes? Or how bad is... And should we use the term representation? I think you mentioned that we shouldn't. I think, we could, I mean, we can definitely talk about representation. What, so when we were talking about the episode, we were talking about the, the binary, the bad representation and good representation. And that how, like, if we go to, if we start saying we just want good, it's kind of like, well, what about people that are in the middle, right? So if we just want good, or if we're just pointing out bad, that erases, like, human, <laughs> which is both bad yeah. and good. But representation, yeah. Okay, so then how bad is representation or how bad are like these representation stereotypes? So in 2015, Latinx represented only 5.1% of all speaking roles in film. On TV and film, Latinx actors and actresses played criminals, law enforcers, or cheap labor. 67% of Latinas played maids on TV, which is super high. Wow, okay. It's also really bad on um, the news representation of minorities especially latinos and african-american communities is obviously really negative in the news 
Obviously, that's all bad, right? But we're here to talk about Guillermo and what makes him great. But in order to do that, I wanted to really examine another Latinx character on a comedy sitcom to kind of model him after. Carla Espinoza, played by Judy Reyes on the TV show Scrubs. So Molina Guzman kind of goes into Carla Espinoza's character and points out some of the great characteristics she has in comparison to other Latinx characters played on TV. So I wrote just a few of those features in a list because who doesn't, you know, who doesn't love like a list? (laughs) (laughs) I love a a good top 10 list. This isn't 10, but it's about four different points. So what makes the character of Carla unique? First, she was written onto the show by a producer of color who specifically sought out Judy Reyes for the role. No other actor on the show was recruited this way. She was specifically recruited. I mean, she's pretty awesome. This means... <laughs> oh, I know, right? Yeah. It's so awesome. So this means she's not actually a colorblind character. And what is colorblind? So colorblind casting assumes that any actress or act- actor or actress, regardless of ethnic or racial background, can play that role. She is not colorblind uh, casted because she was actually sought out specifically for her background. Carla Espinoza is actually an example of an anti-exotic Latina. She defies all Latina stereotypes she plays because she's a straight man character. So she plays in the comedic role. Obviously, you have someone who's goofy and to balance them out, you have the straight man who kind of pulls everyone back from the brink of like insanity, right? So she defies those Latina archetypes. She's also Afro-Latina, (laughs) which is another rarity on TV or film. I mean, there was that story with uh, Sofia Vergara, who literally had to dye her hair from blonde to black in order to be be able to cast or play, I should say, a Latinx character. Really? Yeah. (laughs) You didn't know that? No. Yeah. So she had to, she was like, "I, I couldn't get a job as a Latina. If I didn't dye my hair. So Carla Espinosa, definitely as an Afro-Latina, very rare on TV or film. She's also not hypersexualized. And she is consistently shown as highly skilled at her job with kind of like a take no bullshit attitude. And the last point that I have and most important point is she questions authority and white supremacy. She doesn't fall into the trap of the hipster racism. Racism and sexism and scrubs are not issues that that show kind of skirts by. They actually purposely tackle those issues and create discomfort in a lot of viewers in order to call into question those power structures. So what I wanted to take away from this very short analysis of this character is two things that we should look for in Guillermo. One, is he a product of of colorblind casting? And two, does what we do in the shadows use his character to question power structures that affect Latinx men like himself? Or is the show just another perpetrator? of hipster racism. What do you think, Orquidia? Back to you. I think these are good questions. And I think when you mentioned like the straight man trope, Guillermo definitely is like the straight man to the vampires. So he definitely takes on that comedic role, right? So as opposed to um, some of the stereotypes that you mentioned, one of the other ones that Charles Ramirez Burke talks about is the Latino as the buffoon. So he's usually the comedic reliefs. He has the accent. He's like super just dumb. He's he, that's it. Like that's what the only thing he's good for. And Guillermo is the opposite of that in a lot yes. of ways. So he 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 really pushes back against the traditional stereotypes of Latino men on screen. And I think what makes Guillermo such a compelling character, this kind of responds to the colorblind casting question, because I'm not sure if he 
I don't think the character was written with him in mind. I'm not sure if it was written with any ethnicity in mind. Yeah. But the character, his ethnicity is not hidden, right? But it's also not played for jokes. So it, it is part of who he is, right? It's the, the, the fact that he's Latino or Latinx is part of the show. And we'll talk about some examples later. But one of the examples is when the vampires make fun of him for his ethnicity or joke about whether he's Mexican or like they can't figure out where he's from. Right, like we're not laughing at Guillermo, we're laughing at the vampires for being so dumb, right? So, so it flips the the power structure in that sense that we're laughing with him almost at their at their idiocy. And in regards to the second question, I think we could take a deep dive into some of the episodes. So here we'll do like the a deeper character analysis and really think about who Guillermo is and what he brings to the show. So yes. one of my favorite episodes, that kind of like I think the crux of the series so far has been the season finale for the first season the title of the show is ancestry and by this point guillermo is so freaking done like he's tired of waiting to be turned into a vampire he feels like nandor's not going to turn him into one and they decide to do an ancestry test and so all the vampires get their ancestry test done and so does guillermo and so they each have like their own side story about like their families and all this sort of stuff And it turns out Guillermo is, like, mostly, like, Mexican or indigenous descent, right? Like, whatever, that Mexican category that's really weird in ancestry DNA tests. (laughs) But that 3.12% of him is Dutch, and he's a direct descendant of Van Helsing. Which is awesome. It's so good. It's so good. It's such a good twist that this guy that has been, like, protecting the vampires for so long is a direct descendant of like this ultimate vampire killer so in the novel of dracula by bram stoker that kind of starts a lot of these myths abraham van helsing is called by his friend and former student to help his ill lover lucy who has been turned is being turned into a vampire and in that first book it really he's not a vampire hunter he's just a doctor like he has all these degrees he's super super smart but it's not like his life's work to, to hunt vampires it's later iterations and later adaptations that make van helsing into this like amazing vampire hunter and i love that episode too where again was like van helsing can't be real but vampires are real does that mean he's real and he has like yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's connecting the dots <laughs> so i mean I, i'm pretty sure the season ends with him too like that moment of, of, on his face where he like looks uber confused and shocked and he goes into the, that deep existential crisis so we're left with like wondering what's going to happen with Iermo and his relationship to the vampires so again he's kind of like book ends the, the season yeah I think a lot of Latinx characters in film and TV and all that stuff I, I, I think you make a really good point about fate but also about magic mm-hmm. like it's always about like magical realism and like same thing with Jane the Virgin. You have a lot of magical realism and a lot of kind of wacky situations and stuff. But the difference here is that magic is real from the outset. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with ethnicity or anything. It's just the way the world is. There are supernatural creatures. This is the society, you know. Yeah. Well, and I, I love it just this exists. I, I love this idea, too. We've, we've talked about it. Like, are certain communities seen as monstrous, right? Like, when we think about how Latinx communities are policed and, you know, the way 
our president talks about Latinx communities, right? Like it is a like we're this parasite, we're this monsters. And in the show, Guillermo wants to be that monster for for different reasons, right? Like there's some power in that. Like he has agency by being monstrous, and yet he has also this other power that he didn't know about that's killing the monster. So it's yeah, there's just a lot there, and I'm really interested to see how they develop it. And it's also super cool to see him go from like super wimpy and almost like slave to Nandor to an amazingly swift vampire killer by the sec- end of the second season. Like his transformation is super cool. Because again, it goes back to the Zuko thing, right? Where once you embrace who you are, mm-hmm. like the final episode of the second season is him standing there being like, I am Guillermo de la Cruz. Yeah. Well, and, but I think that that's like, he embraces his power, but I'm not sure he's embracing his Van Helsing side. Mm. I think we can debate that a little bit. But yeah, so that was one of like the final episode of season two. The vamp is, we've talked about it a little bit too. And what you reference is the vamp, uh, Guillermo leaves again. So again, by the end of the season, he's like, I'm done with you. He leaves. He feels taken for granted. And the vampires are about to kill, be killed by the Council of Vampires. I just love that his identity crisis drives Guillermo to the only place anybody with any real deep problems will go to, which is their mom's house. <laughs> it's where I get fed. And that's, and I love it. It's He's where like, my mom, like, yeah, of course, I'm going to my mom's house. I'm going to go have some freaking muñuelos at my mom's house, okay? Let me think about this. You vampires figure it freaking out without me. Yep. <laughs> and it's so good. I love it. And then it's a really short scene where Guillermo's with his mom, who's named Sylvia, and they live in the Bronx. And it's, like, really brief, but we find out a lot about him. And he goes back to the vampire house to pick up a mini fridge for his mom and that's when he Guillermo realizes that the the vampires are about to be killed by the council. So he suits up and goes protects them as he would, right? Like he's driven to protect these these vampires that don't know how to love him, right? Like he he wants to be loved by them and he wants to be one of them, and they just don't know how to do that to him. So he goes and they're tied up on stage, and all the vampires are talking about how ridiculous it is that Guillermo would have killed the vampires and. He's too weak. And they're just talking all this shit about Guillermo. And he gets angrier and angrier. And he finally explodes and starts killing vampires left and right. Like, it's total massacre. And I love it. He's bathed in blood. He is. Yeah. So, like, the camera goes off for a little bit because some vampires fall on the camera, guys. And when the cameras turn back on, Guillermo's, like, in the audience and the seats. And the vampires are still tied up. And he's covered in blood, yeah. And he, like, looks super cool. And Nandor, Nadja, Laszlo, and Colin are like, what the fuck's going on? And he looks at them and he has this, like, uber powerful moment where he's like, my name is Guillermo de la Cruz. And then they're like, who the fuck cares? Do our laundry. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is, that is just so them. It is. And, but I just love, again, the, the character development that his last name is literally of the cross. That they that, that they drop this giant in, piece of information without translating it. Like they don't subtitle his name, they don't translate his name. 
So if you speak Spanish, if you understand Spanish, you're watching this going, shit, that's freaking awesome. His last name is Of The Cross. He is, yeah, he is meant to do this. Like he is Of The Cross. But again, like, I feel like it's one of those moments that's not meant for Latino audiences, but acknowledges Latino audiences because of the use of Spanish. And I think... Exactly. Yeah. All this... Go ahead. Oh, no. And there's an episode where, literally, there is an episode where him knowing Spanish actually saves them. Remember when they when they go to the witches, the witches coven? Yeah. It's so good. It has these subtle nods that make you feel included as a person of, you know, Latinx descent, like, and it's so nice to see. Yeah. And I think that that's, like, all this babbling we have done and, like, love we show Guillermo is because of that. Like, it's so rare to see this representation. And it's so amazing to see that they have developed a character in a way that makes sense and that acknowledges Latinx audiences in a respectful way, right? Like, it's not talking down to us. It's not demeaning the character. Like, it's just... I th- he's not a one-dimensional character, but is really thoroughly thought out and central to the plot. Like, how freaking amazing is that? And his ethnicity is not the butt of jokes, like it would be in other cases. Like, he's a proud Latinx, and particularly in season two where we see him code switch, like that episode, like when he mentions his name, like when he's talking about, talking to his mom, right? Like, he, it, there's, there's naturalness to his Latino identity, and that's beautiful. Yes. So. And it's great, and it's it's one great way to write a Latinx character. So writers out there, this is what you should be doing, because did you ever watch Runaways? No. I need to post, oh my god, I need to post it either in the show notes or on, on our social media account someplace, because for the love of God, there was this episode that annoyed me so much, Orquidia, <laughs> so much. Essentially, the... The characters in Runaways, they're mutants, they're, they have superpowers, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, not to get too deep into it, there is an episode where they meet this other character, and he's Latino. And every other word he has is in Spanish. The ent- Basically, he's like, oh, look at the, you know, el cielo. And it's like, no one talks like that. No one that I know that is Latinx, first generation, speaks like that either you speak in full sentences or maybe you forget like a word mm-hmm. like i forgot like grapes for a long time in mm-hmm. spanish and i was just like or or in english i forgot what grapes was like i, I switch them so, once in a while and i just forget yeah and that's how we we talk we just and so to hear this character just like go into spanish it sounded like i was reading fan fiction from when i was like 13 <laughs> and i think that's what it is like they linguistic code switching and cultural code switching is an art form and you have to ask people that do it how to how they do it like it it can't be yeah like it makes sense when you hear it you can tell and and there's no rhyme or reason to it it just makes sense when you hear it like you're saying you know like yeah sometimes it sounds natural sometimes it doesn't yeah and what i would mean is like he literally said every other word was in spanish yeah i'm not even kidding like for no reason (laughs) <laughs> no rhyme or reason he could speak he had no accent in english so he could he could clearly speak english well so i just didn't understand why he was anyways it was it was such a badly written latino character i mean yeah. horrific so it's nice to see guillermo and also he's like a chunky like a little chunkier you know oh my god don't go there yet we're gonna talk about it later oh okay we're gonna talk about that okay okay, yes. okay, okay. 
I love his wardrobe and how it changed from like the first episode to the final episode of season two. Dude has gotten an upgrade. <laughs> Although I love the dork looks too. I'm gonna say that. The dorks, the dork looks are amazing. Yeah. So let's get into some final, final thoughts on this. So before we wrap up, we wanted to briefly also talk about the actor behind Guillermo, Harvey Guillen. Guillen? Guillen? Guillen is of Mexican descent from California. Hey, hey. So in the article, <laughs> Harvey Guillen on representing for the next gordito Mexican queer kid by Erika Ramirez, Guillen talks about his role as Guillermo. In the article, Ramirez points out that Guillermo, oh, that Guillen had an active role in making sure the script for the season finale was as real as possible. She writes that Guillen and producers Sims and Robinson worked to make every detail of that particular scene was representative of Guillermo and his culture from the Buñuelos. Yeah. Buñuelos. 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 <laughs> I've never had one, to be quite honest with you. What? I've never eaten one. I've lived in Mexican neighborhoods my whole life. I just wasn't raised. I mean, it's just deep fried dough covered in sugar. Like, you can't go wrong. I mean, you can go wrong because they have to be crispy. <laughs> and sometimes they're stale and they're, like, chewy. No, they have to be, like, super crispy. Almost like tostadas, but more... They almost sound like, you know, the... Oh, my God. What are they called in New Orleans? Beignets. Be I can't say it, but I know... Beignets. Yeah. No. They're not the same? No. Because those are more like, I can't say it, more like donuts and they're fluffy. This is more like, like, oh, I'm trying to think. Have you had the orejas or the palm, palmeras that are super crispy? They look like ears and you cut them in half. No. Oh, yes. Yes, I know what you mean. So yes. it's kind of that texture, like really crunchy and flaky. I just need to go to the Mexican bakery and just You need get to one. get yourself some buñuelos. Come on. I now. might have seen them. I'm pretty sure I've seen them and then... I was like, nah, I'll just eat hot Cheetos or something, you know, knowing me. Why not both? <laughs> <laughs> but then, anyway, sorry to, to interrupt this quote in the middle. So from Buñuelos, the decor to the dynamic mannerisms between him and his mom, Sylvia. So he was really consulted. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm saying. Like in interviews, you kind of see how he, yeah, by the second season, it's clear how important the character is. So they... It seems like they bring him in a lot more, the actor. And I mean, all of this is based off interviews, so it's not, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's speculation. Yeah, this is all speculation. But that scene definitely felt familiar and comforting. And I think that's why I liked it. Oh, no, it's it's great. It's fantastic. And we can all relate to being at some sort of, you know, parents or, or who is your comfort family member, you know? Yeah. And, and going to their house and being like, I'm sad. Yeah. And then being like, all right, we'll fix this for me now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think so in that same article, Guillen talks about his experience not seeing himself on screen and says, quote, and so when I realized that there was no one who looked like me on TV, I said, can I be the first? I really made it a goal to go after it. At that age, when you're little, coming from a poor family with immigrant parents, I remember thinking, I have nothing, so I have nothing to lose, only only gain. For me, once I made that realization, nothing could stop me, nothing. Because every little step I took was a stepping stone in the right direction. You keep stepping on those stones, and then eventually, you're going to get to your destination. So I kind of, I love that quote and that that drive that he has. And I feel like it's a, a similar drive Guillermo has. Not to conflate the two. I, I know they're different 
wants a character, wants a real person. Yeah. But that drive is like really awesome. I love that quote. I have nothing, so I have nothing to lose, only gain. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also terrible, but also awesome. You know, it's like, I have nothing, so I guess I'll just go for it. Yeah. What are they going to do? Tell me no? Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, the fact that he's like chunky Latinx, queer, that does not, that's so fucking rare, unfortunately. Yeah. It is really rare. Come on. I'm sorry. I've been watching a lot of Drag Race, so I'm always like, you got your looks, look queen, and then you have your, your comedy queens, but then you got your big queens. Yeah. And, and your, your big queens, queens can be comedy queens and look queens. What? Yeah. So we need more thick kings. Come on. Kings and queens. Yeah. We need more thick queens and kings. I want to be Guillermo when I grow up, even though he's younger than me. I don't care. <laughs> He's my role model now. <laughs> he is. I love I love him. Especially when he's killing all those vampires. It's fantastic. And I don't know. Would you choose to be a vampire killer or would you choose to be a vampire? Which one would you be? Vampire. Yeah. I kind of like the immortality angle. I don't want to be immortal, but I'd rather be a monster. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this doesn't make any sense. I, the only reason I want to be a vampire is if I could just be immortal because I would miss the sun. Yeah. I, I, I hate the heat, so I'm okay with that. Maybe half vampire, like Blade. Or Colin. Or Colin. <gasps> An energy vampire? But do you think he's immortal? I don't think he is. I'm not sure. But I think this segues to one of the last questions that we had for each other, which was, which is our favorite character other than Guillermo? Because obviously Guillermo is our favorite character, but which is our second favorite? So my favorite after Guillermo is definitely Naja. I love Naja. I think you also love her. Yeah. I want okay. I, <laughs> I want to dress like her 24-7, <laughs> even though I would burn to death. Like, her outfits are freaking amazing. They're amazing, but also her accent, her demeanor. <laughs> I just... I also love her husband. Laszlo. What's his face? Laszlo, Laszlo, his actor is so funny. I've been watching him since IT Crowd. I know. Have you watched his... Toast of London? No. Oh my God, he's on in Toast of London, and it's he's like a wannabe actor. That show's ridiculous. It's nonsense. That's what Jaime was saying because he he also my friend Jaime, he loves that actor too. His his name is like Barry something. What is his name? Matt Barry. Matt Barry. Thank you. I was like, I know it's a berry. It's like a fruit. <laughs> He's a strawberry, raspberry. Yeah, some, something like that. Yeah. Blueberry man. <laughs> and so he's, yeah, he was like, oh, you need to watch the other one. But it's it's really weird, he said. Dude, I was it's like, really okay. weird. Like, I can watch like two episodes and then I'm like, I need a break because this is hilarious, <laughs> but also makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So and definitely Naja, especially when she has that, her soul, her human soul come back and then she puts and- it in the doll. <gasps> Oh my god. Yes, because I want I want that doll. When they make that merch, if they don't make that doll, they're idiots. Too. I love that the only person she can have a smart conversation with is herself. <laughs> that's true. Oh my god, that's true. I think my favorite episode so far, and I know it doesn't have anything to do with Guillermo, but it was just so ridiculous. It was when Laszlo becomes Jackie Daytona. <laughs> Yeah, that was a dumb one. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I keep these in case of an emergency. And he busts out blue jeans. And I'm, just like, I'm an all-American guy. 
I'm an old American man. And it's like, oh my god. And then he gets obsessed with like the volleyball team. <laughs> Again, just ridiculous situations that these vampires get themselves into. And I always, I'm, I just cannot wait to see what's next. And I think that leads us to our last point, right? Like, yeah. do you recommend this show or not? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't obvious from everything we've said, absolutely yes. Please we watch the it... show. Please watch it now. Watch, yeah, I know. Watch the and show. Overall, we give this show two fangs up. Two fangs up. What? <laughs> <laughs> when we were coming up with this, y'all, we thought that was hilarious as shit. Two fangs up. We're gonna two fangs up. <laughs> what is that sound they make? I can't hiss very well. Where they're like when they fight each other. <laughs> God, horrible. We're horrible people. Anyways. We should probably end the show before we start hissing at each other for like a straight hour. So <laughs> that's it for our episode today. No more hissing <laughs> on the podcast. On the podcast, we can do it. Uh, but we'd love to hear people because we posted that we were going to record a, an episode on the show. And a few people mentioned that they liked the show. So we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on Guillermo and uh, Latinx representation in horror. So feel free to leave a comment on any of our social media. Yeah. And yeah, that's basically it for today. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to continue supporting us, please leave a review. Let us know what you think. And if you have any monsters, creatures, or legends you want us to cover, let us know. Subscribe. Please hit the subscribe button. Review. Do all those cool things, right? For the vampires. Do it for the vampires. Do it for the fangs. Do it for the fangs. (laughs) That's what we should call fans of the show. Yeah. The fangs. The fangs. So then you can follow us on social media also. Follow us on Twitter at Monstras Podcast or email us at monstraspodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website also, monstraspodcast.com. And we have an Instagram of the same name, Monstras Podcast. Our zombie fan is running it, Mr. Z. Yes, our zombie, our number one fan is running it. But yeah, that's basically it. So thank you so much. Stay safe. Don't get uh, bitten by a vampire unless you want to. Totally, unless it's consensual. <laughs> always, always emphasizing consent on this show. Yes. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.